Mert, I am so excited. No one can see us, but we're, we're all grinning from <laughs> ear to ear. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. In this episode of Immigration Revelation, we welcome Mert Iseri, the brilliant Turkish immigrant behind the revolutionary healthcare company SwipeSense, and someone very dear and near the hearts of the McEntee Law team. I'll explain how long I know Mert, I think. So my frame of reference is, well, for your first case that we did, is my daughter's birth because I was pregnant when we filed your your Extraordinary Ability 01 case. So Rose just turned seven. So um, that will give people an idea of the timelines. It's a while ago. It's kind of crazy. There's only a handful of people in my life that have been part of the the, the, the my life's movie you know how everybody thinks their life is some sort of like a series of experiences kind of plays out like a movie or a video game player one there's few people in my life that are like family level they've just have been there uh, for the whole story and fiona you are uh, one of those individuals there's so many fiona stories that i have in my in my head of you know the immigration is typically associated with you know extreme highs and lows so typically yeah. they become member memorable things so i've actually been looking forward for like a you know hard to hard conversation with you about hey let's just talk about the the crazy adventure that this has been yeah. for a long long time so yeah. i'm just as excited to be having this conversation with you as as the two of you yay so i know and our whole firm is so you know, connected to you in your case because it was it's it's been a long journey, but one that we we cared so much about. And so I just was saying to Alex before Alex is now an attorney here, and she started as a law clerk. And I just said, oh, I'm I'm you know going into chat to Murd, and she's like, well, if there's anyone who knows Murd and his story, it's you. So we, you're like family to us too. And I have a little note card that Murad had sent me a while ago from, um, it's over there on my notice board, but it was just like swipe sense note card, like basically keep up the good work. Thank you for everything you're doing. And, and I just, you know, when times get tough, I look over at that and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be okay. You know, people always ask me whether I always, did I did I grow up knowing that I want wanted to come to America? And I did not. And everyone has a different answer to that question. And um, what about you? Was I mean, you grew up in Turkey. Was was America something that you you know thought you would ever? Did you think you would end up moving to the states at some point? The answer is no. It's uh, strange to actually uh, knowing how much I appreciate being in America right now. I very much view. Chicago, especially, but I'll say America with the you know with the capital A as a second home. Um, we'll get to talk more about Swipe Sense, but one of the wonderful things that Swipe Sense has allowed me to do is I recently had to check this, but I've been to like forty-two states in the U.S., <laughs> which is an extraordinary amount of number. I wasn't even like trying to like oh I the better I've got to go to every state it's just just as a you know matter of the hospitals happen to be all across the, the country our business happens to work with hospitals so as a result I've been to a lots of different places in America and I love this country 
It's an amazing place. The ideals that it's built on is very much parallel to how I view the world. The values of America, in my mind, are phenomenal. So I very much feel home here. But it's strange because I did not grow up thinking that I got to get to America. Um, I grew up in Istanbul, Turkey. I went to an American high school, so it was an international, I was exposed to an international world early on. Our you know, classes were in English. A lot of my classmates went to America to study, but I had a different story. I was determined ever since I was a young boy that I was going to join our family business. And it's not, you know, our family business isn't Apple or anything. I mean, it's, a, it's a mattress company. You know, my grandfather founded it. Um, we make and manuf- we manufacture and sell beds. It's a, it's a wonderful business. Business. It's been around for a long, long time. Uh, third generation. So my grandfather founded in 1964. Um, my dad took over uh, in early 2000s. The exact year is escaping me. But I was very much like, I'm next. This is. I'm proud of this. I've been working here all my life. Heir to the throne. Yeah. And as for his siblings, well. So I have a younger sister who at no point wanted to work in the family business and two cousins. Um, so my father's sister's uh, children as well. Um, but I want to say heir to the throne with an asterisk because I actually also very early on became disgusted with the idea that I'm only here because I happen to have been born in the right family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I was like seven, eight years old. I remember having this like very strangely mature conversation with my dad. Like, again, I'm talking about like a first or second grader or something, but I remember sitting down with my dad. And, I'm not and, surprised and saying, by this at all, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't want this to be handed to me. What can I do to earn this 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 role? What can I do? Because, you know, it's like um, a family business somewhat translates to child labor because yeah. there's no um, there's no limit on the work that you yeah. can do and as early as you can do it so I was like yeah you know whatever like over the summers I would go and yeah. like as a kid you're not you think you're doing pretend work so like you know it's like being a chef you know when you're cooking with your friends right as a, as a child's play like I thought I was working in the you know the company I didn't do anything meaningful until like high school and then I joined like the First, I did accounting. I did like I, I learned basically everything in the business that was to be done. I did, and that was until um, you know, sort of like towards the end of high school, where I you have to decide in Turkey. You either go to school in the U.S. or, in my case, because of my high school, it was a U.S. Uh, college, or you go to a college in Turkey. And this is a rather important decision because the test you take, the SAT equivalent. Uh, is mm-hmm. a very, very hard exam in Turkey. You have to study for it for a year or so. So I basically mm-hmm. said, I'm going to study in, in Turkey and I'm going to take over the family business. This has been my life's ideal all my life and this is what I'm going to do. Um, I started college and within three months, I said to myself, I made a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake. I made a huge tiny mistake. You like, started I- co- so you actually started college in Turkey. I started college in Istanbul that. Technical University, sort of the, the MIT of Turkey, if you will. Yeah. Like it's this big engineering school. It's hundreds of years old. It's, I had a life-changing experience. Yeah. I, I, um, it was in one of my math classes, actually. And I remember this very well because uh, the, 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 this math class in particular was taught in English. So part of the, the curriculum happens to be taught in, in English in, in this particular school. And math class was in English. And the textbook, uh, happened to be the same textbook 
that we used in our senior year of my American high school. So I was somewhat familiar with, I, I, you know, I didn't have to buy the textbook. I was like, oh, this is great. I get to reuse this. Well, how wonderful is this? And in one of the classes, um, the teacher, with the, right before he wrapped up the class, he was assigning homework for the next class. And he said, well, you know, in the end of this chapter is a problem set of 20. You can skip the first 15. He said, those are for the, the slow learning Americans. The last five is the real challenging stuff. Just focus on the last five. Again, this is, I, I will say, there's a lot of elitism at the school. It's the MIT of Turkey. So it's like people, the, the cream of the cream of, of potential students come here. So there's a lot of like, we are the best and da, da, da. There's a lot of that. One of the kids who was, who was my classmate said to the professor, well, yeah, like, aren't we great? Like, we're, we're so much ahead of American universities. This is a better university. Like, we're so proud to be at Istanbul Technical University. This is really good. He made a comment, like, along the lines of these. And the professor said, yes, that's, that's really true. If there was a scale, a gradient between zero and 100, American students enter college at a 1, and you guys are entering it at a 20. Okay, ouch. Uh, but for some reason, Turkish students graduate at a 50, and American students graduate at a 100. Oh. Oh. Ouch. So it's like, yeah, you might be further along now, but not for long. And I remember being in that class and saying, I chose to be here. Like, I, I'm, I'm not, I didn't sign up for the 50. I signed up for the 1,000. And I decided right then and there, I left the class. I went to our library. I went to U.S. World News Report. I picked the top, you know, 15 colleges in the U.S. Northwestern happened to be one of those. I wrote down all the application dates, everything that I needed. And I called my dad and I said, Dad, I need your credit card information. I didn't have a credit card at the time. I'm going to take the TOEFL exam and the SAT exam, and the deadline is this, and I have to sign up right now. Do you mind giving me your credit card? And it was a silence. I, you know, I say, are you there? And he said, no, I was just reaching for my wallet. Like, ready, are you ready to take it out? He didn't ask me question of, like, what is this America thing coming He trusted from? you, yeah. And that was that. I applied, and that's how I ended up in Chicago. Applying to colleges is so intimidating. I know for me, for the LSAT, I had to go to London, take the LSAT from Dublin. And I mean, it's not an easy thing to come here as a foreign student. You know, the app, the tests are different. The application process is strange. You're like applying to places that you've no context. And, you know, for me, I'd never done an, I'd never done one of those standardized tests. Maybe you did them in, in, in high school because um, you're in an American high school, but they're not, they're not typical in a lot of places in Europe. No. Um, but look, I mean, I just think what an incredible, incredible, like start to your journey. And then you go to Northwestern. What, how soon after going to Northwestern did you, did you meet Yuri who has been turned into your long time business partner, co-founder? When did you meet him? True story. I met him the first week at, at he's like the second person I met as a classmate in the, so I arrived a week early. Uh, so, I, you know, it, it's true to spirit. My dad, would say there was like orientation and what have you that we had to be a part of. And my dad's like, let's go early. <laughs> let's just show up for like my dad's version of showing up. If at you're the early, airport. you're on time. <laughs> early's on time. It's very, very dad feedback. It was like, it'll be great. We'll spend time in Chicago together. Like, let's go there a little bit early. So I arrived early uh, to the to the U.S. And my roommate, uh, again, at 
happened to be one of my best friends, Victor, also arrived a couple of days early. So we bonded over a couple of days. But, you know, I'm not, at that point, I'm not meeting anyone new. I'm not meeting anyone of my new classmates. And Yuri happened to live across the hallway. So he, one of the first people that arrived on campus uh, at Northwestern was Yuri Molina. And I was like, I knocked on his door and I said, hi, my name is Mert. I'm from Turkey. He said, hi, my name is Yuri. I'm from France. And we became friends that now spun over a decade uh, you know he's very much a brother from another mother business partner we still work together my best friend like at this point husband wife mother father like whatever yeah, like he's all of in the such above. a special place all of the above they uh, say that about a partnership a business partnership it's kind of like a marriage like it does feel like that sometimes it's deeper than a marriage because at least you know the the marriage at least you get to separate a little bit during the though now together with work from home but you know oh, the yeah, business yeah. partner is 24 7 right yeah. so especially with us we were roommates too for a good bit of swipe sense so it you know our lives became intertwined so to speak but he's such a great person and i was very very lucky to have met him early on that developed into a beautiful friendship that's incredible and so we've mentioned swipe sense a few times and i you know remember going to see you talk at, at matter the the healthcare incubator and when we first met in the the incubator was it like health what health, was it box. health health box that was it health box so I obviously don't want to spoil the story and I know exactly how this started, but you and Yuri, you guys were, you were classmates, friends, and you were assigned a project through one of your classes. And, and what was that project and, and what happened from there? So the first organization that actually Yuri and I helped start was a nonprofit called Design for America, based at Northwestern first. Now it's spun to over 41 campuses. So Yale has a DFA studio, Stanford has a DFA studio. Um, actually, DFA itself recently became part of the IBM Watson Foundation, and it's on track to reach hundreds of college campuses over the course of the next decade. Really, really excited about what the organization has created. But it's essentially a nonprofit that brings together students with large societal challenges that has some sort of local impact. We didn't want to create the next, you know, Engineers Without Borders or some sort of like international nonprofit. We wanted the work to be done around the campus because God knows there's plenty of work, plenty of social impact that we can create right here. So for example, hospital acquired infections. So these are the bugs you get inside the hospital. It's a widespread problem in U.S. healthcare. It kills tens of thousands of patients every single year. It's easy to think of hospitals as these ultra-sterilized zones. But before the coronavirus pandemic, the reality was that hospital-acquired infections, or HAIs, were the fourth leading cause of death in the U.S. So DFA got started, and one of our early projects was working with a local hospital. And exactly as I said, they have this issue with patients getting sicker after they're admitted to a hospital. And the solution to this problem? Well, it might sound familiar. Get your doctors and nurses to wash their hands. It's sort of like wear a mask to stop the spread of the disease. But much like mask wearing, sometimes simple solutions can still get complicated. So Mert started asking a different question. How do you get someone to make a small change in their day-to-day -day that leads to a large societal impact? This will be an easy analogy for uh, our, our listeners today. 
But if you imagine today, yeah. if you were to go to a hospital for to say get a hip replacement or remove your appendix or something, there is a chance you will be contracting COVID because there's well, there's plenty of COVID patients inside the hospital. Yeah. Well, before COVID, there were plenty of transmissible diseases that happened to hosp- to patients inside the hospital. And as a patient, yeah, there's a chance you will get that hospital-acquired infection. It's called nosocomial infection. A lot of the times, this is harmless. Um, given how common it is, one in 20 patients get an infection after they're admitted to the hospital. That has nothing to do with their diagnosis. Yeah, this is like pre-COVID numbers. One in 20 people that go into a hospital would come out with an infection that they did not go in with. And sadly, in in some of those cases, this leads to significant amount of suffering, significant amount of pain, even death. Yeah. These are infections like MRSA. These are infections like C. diff. Um, essentially, bugs that live inside the hospital and it's not really rocket science. We know that there is an established sort of population of folks with these kinds of ailments inside the hospital. What the hospital has to do, just like wearing your mask, there has to be high rates of hand hygiene compliance. It's, again, not rocket science. We all know that we should wash our hands before we eat, before we touch something inside well, the hospital. We thought we knew that. I don't know. It seems to be like a newfound <laughs> idea as of late, but... You get the idea. You have to go from one patient to the next, and in doing so, you should wash your hands in between. Um, the way hospitals currently actually measure and improve hand hygiene is, I kid you not, a nurse will stop what they're doing. They'll pick up a pen and paper. They'll go into a hallway somewhere, and they'll check. Did Dr. James wash or not wash? Did Nurse Joe wash or not wash? And they fill up these reports, and they would tally those um, inside the, the hospital in some meeting somewhere. And then in the end of three months, they would say, boy, our hand hygiene numbers look great. Well, you know, no wonder they look great. You're looking at t- only 10 out of millions of opportunities. Everybody knows you're watching. So clearly they're going to wash their hands while you're watching. So this becomes one of those, I, I call it sort of the, the tragedy of the comments. Everybody knows this is a problem. But everybody at the same time assumes it's someone else's mistake because, well, yeah, they, mm. they wash their hands. Look, our rates are high. I know I'm a great healthcare professional. I never miss washing my hands. Mm. It's sort of like saying um, to a lawyer, boy, you better read those documents carefully. Everybody's like, well, you know, I, of course I read them carefully. Like, that's what I do. But, you know, every once in a while, something will, you know, you, 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 you miss it. This is the same thing as yeah. awful. A doctor or a nurse knows they're supposed to wash their hands, but they think they're doing it or they, they just, there's just no controls in place. Is there also like an issue with the integrity of the data too? Like, is there an issue with like how that information is being kept? Because it seems like a doctor who is in these settings of being rushed and, you know, they're very busy. What, who is taking the time to like actually jot down? Yeah. Oh, I wash my hands. Or like, how is that kind of metric system? There must be some issue there. Well, it's clearly an issue. And for me, the easiest way for me to describe this is this is a job that's meant to be done by a machine. The simple reason is it's a sample size. If something happens a million times and you only capture 10 of those times, that's not representative of what, what happens. It's like yeah. polling only 10 people who voted. Like, no, you, Please don't. Yeah. we, we got to get to a large, large group of people to, to know Maybe what Maybe that happened. could be the next pro- project for you, the polling. <laughs> that could be interesting. But long, make a long story short, um, we built a technology system that measures this inside the hospital. It's a sensor network that measures along with hand hygiene compliance, key quality metrics inside the hospital. So 
if the hospital's job is to keep the patient healthy, our job is to keep the hospital healthy. Uh, these metrics around, are my nurses doing their rounds? Are, are there cases of you know, patient-to-patient -patient transmission? Are, are, do we have enough wheelchairs in the ER? All of these things that indicate the health of the hospital itself, we measure and improve over time. Uh, it's been a long journey, um, and today, you know, we're, we're in dozens of hospitals across the country and have reached incredible levels of impact using our sensors. How do you get a hospital to deliver the best care that they've set out to do? It's everybody is highly trained, everybody knows they're supposed to do the right things, but for some reason, mistakes happen. People get the wrong drug, the, the doctor doesn't see you on time. All of those things, in my opinion, are preventable, and we almost have an obligation to fix those issues to get the best care that we possibly can get, as allowed by science. We'll be right back. So from far, foreign student, um, Mert and I worked together and we he got an O1 Extraordinary Ability Visa for showing that he was a leader in his field, which he clearly was. Um, and it was a tough process that has, it was tough back then. It's even tougher now. But, you know, for some people who, by the time I think we had, I don't know if you'd gotten the 30 under, the Forbes 30 under 30. At, no, you hadn't gotten it at that stage, I don't think, but you'd... You'd won some other awards and gotten some press and, and raised some funds. But sometimes people are not yet at that stage. You know, they haven't quite reached the O1 like you were. Um, within that year, you got you worked so hard and were able to, you know, we were at the threshold of the O1. But if there was something kind of in between for founders who had raised some capital but weren't quite yet at the O1, that's kind of what the startup visa would um would be. But there was an option created under the Obama administration that was stopped under the present administration. But we're hoping that, you know, under in the future, we will get that again, because I know that there's probably a lot of people listening who might have a startup or have an idea. And you you guys took the idea of this and have turned it into a company that has raised, oh, I don't know, how many million have you raised now at this stage? We've raised $24 million uh, over the life of our company. I that's so inspirational for people to hear that you okay you know as as you guys were young students college students you had this amazing idea that you were able to turn into a an like a company that is has such a you know a mission that is going to help us all um and then you've been able to also raise funds create all these jobs I was thinking about you know from from inception an idea um to to where you are today do you remember the first time that you had to ask somebody for money for like or how the first pitch kind of went like I, I'm always curious how do you go from kind of an idea to like these other steps along the way yeah I, I honestly the, the the first time wasn't all that memorable like I didn't have this sort of like grand failure that I learned from it was just to me, it was a it was a straightforward thing. I knew, ever since I was a young kid, the 
worst thing that someone says to you if you ask them for anything, you know, money, books, uh, credit card information to go to uh, <laughs> study in the in the U.S. The worst answer is they're going to say no. Uh, and great, better to know now than later. Uh, so let's get through the ask quickly. And th- with SwipeSense, it was actually exactly that. I, it, the first people we asked for money weren't necessarily investors. The first people we asked for were hospitals. And we asked them for money to more or less pay for the system and say, hey, is this thing valuable for you? And it turns out this is a really good way to get people to give you their honest opinions on their on your idea. Um, the f- your first iteration of the solution that we asked for for money, people weren't all too excited about it. It was a portable dispenser because we we we'd concluded that the problem wasn't measurement of this problem. The problem was access. If we just make hand hygiene as easy as wiping your hands on your pants, people will do it more often. Well, that sounds good, but not really practical because people already have a ton of crap on them and they don't want to carry one more thing. So if you're going to ask someone to carry something around all day, it better be like an iPhone. Like it shows you pictures of cats and Wikipedia at the same time. It's this amazing (laughs) thing. Um, So our first idea sucked, but we only found that out is because we asked people for money and they said no. So that's been our journey really early on into now. And you, but you've had, I mean, a lot of people, very sophisticated investors have put their, so I think it's, you know, it's one thing to give people money, but they've given time, they've given, you know, people have put a lot of faith in you and in your ideas. And it's obviously, you know, uh, you know, they, they made a good bet on that. And so stepping into like a CEO role, how was that? Like anything like that, that has been tough along the way. Absolutely. I'll answer this question in, in sort of two ways. One is sort of the challenges that SwipeSense ran into that we had to overcome. And those are meaningful and sort of has been the, the, the biggest honor of my life has been to sort of solve these challenges. I really believe that every startup uh, should have some sort of like grand purpose that they're after. In our case, this is eradicating medical mistakes in the U.S. and beyond. And give it all in the pursuit of that path. To me, this is the American dream. It's not the the pink or the white picket fence house, whatever. That's not the dream. The dream is to, you know, go and work all, towards something that makes humanity better and give it all on the way. Just go all in, in in making that happen. That's been my sort of like North Star. What what has been some of the personal challenges as a, me as a CEO? Okay? Yeah. Part of that has to do with immigration as well as my maturity as, as becoming a CEO as well. So the first part, if I had to conclude Swipe Census challenges into sort of these, these big buckets, there's been two main buckets. First main bucket is mm. hand hygiene alone is an important problem, but it's not important enough to be one of the top five things inside the hospital that they care about. Has been different. It has been different now with COVID because obviously patient safety and healthcare workers safety have risen immediately to the top inside the hospital's priorities. Right. But look, pre-COVID, I hate to say it, hospitals also worried about: Do we have the marble statue in the lobby, or did we have the latest surgery machine? Like, I, I don't want to be, you know, cynical or or frustrated by this. I'm empathetic because hospitals are amazing yeah. places that literally save lives every single day, and they have tons of competing priorities. Hand hygiene yeah. happens to be one of those things like eating your broccolis or brushing your teeth. It's like, it's not really the first thing you wake up saying in the morning, boy, I got to eat my broccoli today. It's like, oh yeah, I got to do it. sexy hospital, like to, um, the sexy Yeah, it's not a sexy thing. So the first thing to sort of like <laughs> uncover was what are things that are parallel to hand hygiene? So it's not like we'll turn into some like bill collections company or all oh, like, hey, here's a cure for yeah. cancer, whatever it is. Like we, we have to stay mission aligned, which is reducing errors in hospitals. 
hand hygiene and hospital acquired infection happens to be one of them. Let's come up with mission adjacent things we can solve for the hospital to elevate our importance. That's basically, we had the Eureka moment around, this is not a single application, it's a platform. It's like your phone isn't a thing that you just make phone calls with. It also calls an Uber for you. It, it you know, shows you photos. Many, many things associated with that phone. We want it to be that family of applications for patient safety inside the hospital, sort of the iPhone for patient safety. Started reapproaching the market with this unique idea around, hey, this is a family of applications, and we've been on a rocket ship since then. That was, a, I would say, a company-defining moment for us. But of course, there was another problem. Again, strange. I wouldn't really have anticipated this to be one of the business problems that we had to solve for. But consider this. It's actually really hard for a hospital to brag about the fact that they have swipe sense. It's, it's like saying we have this amazing hygiene and quality monitoring technology because it implies they didn't have it before. It's like, well, what, what did you have before this? Yeah. Why did you need it so bad? It's like for a weight loss program. It's like, wait, do you need it? Like, what's wrong? (laughs) Like, it's we had to sort of solve for how do you get the hospital to be proud about delivering the best care possible without the shame and the stigma associated with, yes, our old ways were not working. And this is a very real human problem. The same people who are working on these improvements were arguably the reason for the problem in the first place. They are the ones who are not washing their hands or or, or delivering the care that they need mm-hmm. to get to. So there's been a real learning curve around how do we tell that story? How do we tell the story that, yes, you are part of the top 10% of hospitals in here. It's not, it, this is the best thing you can be doing for your patients, not the sort of the, hey, this is a thing we want to keep under the bush somewhere. Um, so that. Business challenges-wise, those were the big things that we had to overcome. And what are those additional services for people who don't know? What are those additional things that you guys do? You can think of it as a family of solutions that do two things. Reduce waste in the hospital and eliminate medical errors. So in adjacency, we built an asset tracking solution. So hospitals constantly lose beds, gurneys, IV pumps, oxygen monitors, wheelchairs. I mean... This really, it sounds oversimplified, but it's basically this. Somebody will get discharged from the hospital. They'll walk out with the, <laughs> with the thing that they're tied to, and they'll just put it in their car and drive away. Or let's say there's a telemetry module that the patient has been discharged, but the laundry crew comes in and wraps up the sheets, and there was a little box that is worth $20,000 um, that just gets thrown down the laundry chute. There's so many mobile equipment. There's thousands of things inside the hospital that are high value like this. It's not just the, you know, the, the thing that never gets touched, like the fire extinguisher on the wall, if you will. These are things that are constantly moving. So our system tracks. It's like find my iPhone. Where are those things inside the hospital? We have a nurse rounding application, essentially checking that is the patient seen at least once an hour by one of the folks in their care team. This is important because if you do this, turns out you can reduce patient falls by upwards of 50%. You can reduce pressure ulcers by 35%. Uh, it's a simple intervention, but people fall from their bed because they need to go to the bathroom and you know they haven't been to the bathroom in the past hour. So if you had just visited once an hour and asked them, hey, is there anything you need? Do you need to reach your phone? Do you need to go to the bathroom? That is a tremendous impact. It's a very easy intervention. So it's the same system that delivers all of those things. And the latest one is around contact tracing. Um, essentially asking yourself, if we have a COVID-19 case inside the four walls of this room, who were the staff members inside the hospital? Everyone from the 
the dietary person who brings you their food, to the janitor, the nurse, the pulmonologist. Give us a quick list of who was in this room because we need to test and, and isolate all of them very, very quickly. Hospitals right now do this with pen and paper, and our solution allows hospitals to automate this process to essentially protect more of the healthcare workers. And something really wonderful happened as we expanded in these applications. Suddenly, care, quality of care became this tribal effort inside the hospital because everybody has something to do with one of our applications, if not all of them. It becomes sort of this shared group responsibility versus just this thing, pointing the finger to like one person who's supposed to wash their hands more. It becomes a thing that we all have to improve as a whole. And that's wonderful. It's, it's been great to see that as a, as a company in terms of how people approach safety and quality to begin with using our technology. Well, I mean, I think if any COVID has just shown us how it is, it's, a, you know, it's, we're all in this together. It's not an isolated situation. And I think, um, so, so with COVID then you, I mean, is, is the contact tracing, that's a, that's a new offering that the, that Swipe Sense has, has added since COVID, is it? Absolutely. Yeah. We've added in the last six months alone. Wow. So you must be busy trying, I mean, did you have the system that you already had, like how difficult was it to add something like that on top of already the system that you had, you know, because you obviously were tracking things anyway. And so it seemed like it would be a natural expansion for the company. It's a, it's a natural expansion. It was a lot of sleepless nights and hard work that went into this um, to actually make it sort of like, hey, we just have this thing launched and now utilize it. We have a relatively uh, efficient engineering team. I will say this. um, I think part of what makes a company a company is, you know, the definition of a company is just a group of people. Like what is special about this group of people that makes them, we're a company now, is that shared truth, is that shared wrong that needs to get righted. And I remember very, very distinctly, you know, having a conversation with one of our hospitals, um, Edward Elmer's Healthcare, actually, they're here in Illinois, and they were telling us about this issue, um, about spread within the hospital and how important contact tracing is. And we're learning about this thing and we see this idea, we think we can build this. Um, and we essentially decided that, yes, this was going to be a success. Let's let's work towards finding more partners around this, but also like put in the hardware engineering work around this. This is basically where the rubber meets the road kind of a moment. And in that process, we're working nights and weekends to get this thing out the door. And we have this big deadline looming for us. And my co-founder, the other brother from another mother, Jory Hardman, he's a a great partner. Uh, He's been with the journey from the beginning as well. He was working really hard towards the end to make this happen. And I remember remember asking uh, Jory, like, Hey, like, I just want you to be okay. Like, t- I want you to take care of yourself. We're all really stressed to, to make this thing happen, but just checking in with you. Like, are you okay? If we need to move the ship date, we can move the ship date. And he told me, Mert, we have to ship this on Friday this week because on Thursday, I'm having a call with my great uncle, my, my mother's uncle, and he's in bed in the hospital dying of COVID. And on Thursday, we have a family Zoom call with them where we all get to say our goodbyes. And I want to be able to tell them that I'm doing my part. And that, and that moment is sort of a, sort of this wake up moment of one that what makes us a country, what, what makes us a company, but also what, you know, what makes United States a country. 
It's when something like COVID happens, can we actually get together and actually work towards it, even though it's it's not something that's going to impact us, but it's going to impact the, the community that we're a part of, the, the people that we love, our, our countrymen, our, our, our fellow citizens. That feeling right there was true on day one when we started this company, and it's true today, and it will be true for the decades ahead as long as I'm part of this mission. I've heard you before talking to people about, you know, build something that like has purpose and that can cr actually really create change. And I think who would have known that from when when you had this idea way back when that you would be having this conversation with your co-founder that is so meaningful and, and the care that goes into everything that you do, you all do as a team is so inspiring and so thank you I think on behalf of all of us who will be the beneficiaries of your work in some ways whether it's directly or through our family you know at some point we're all going to be in the hospital for something or somebody you know whether it's elective surgery or got whatever it is and I think especially now so just thank you all right back at you all because I think uh, your work in immigration really you know highlights you know, when when we do these things in, in things like a swipe sense, I mean, in in my case, it's swipe sense. I, I will say immigration, I wouldn't actually count in those personal challenges because I had wonderful partners like you all. This isn't something that I think every entrepreneur or every American can say with a with a smile on their face because, look, a lot of times you go through this process by yourself and you don't have thoughtful partners, not lawyers, but partners. Like I always felt Fiona was really right by my side feeling that heartbeat that I had about, am I going to be here? Am I going to make it? Oh, I'm going to start crying. I've always <laughs> had such faith in you. And I am so proud of, you know, I just think of how far, you know, we, you have come, we've both kind of grown so much together in separate ways, but like along this journey. And it's been like one of my biggest honors to be able to be your partner. And I think of myself and us here as more than just your lawyers as your partner, but I feel so inspired as well and I mean I think it's like when you think about climate change or what we're doing now it's such it's not for us it's for our kids and for our grandkids and it's like the work that you're doing. I actually just read this wonderful news that uh, the two scientists that developed the, the currently leading COVID-19 vaccine happen to be children of first-time immigrants in Germany. Yeah uh, Turkish immigrants. they're incredible. So there really is I believe uh, a narrative here that we have to repeat over and over again like this when we say immigration this isn't some like country charity that we're doing we're we're bringing the best of the best to be here to work here to fight here and that's something that i'm, I'm immensely proud of to be in america to have built this company in here America created swipe sense and as a result it's benefiting from the from the the work that we've done. That's something that I'm incredibly proud of and it's just something that I wish were more part of the narrative around immigration versus oh my god the foreigners are coming. Like that just seems to be what's dominating the stories and I just wish it were different. You know and I do too and this is why we wanted to start this podcast to showcase these stories. We have such as we say here like such a front row seat to the most beautiful stories unfold that we all benefit from and I think that it's amazing to be able to sit with you and share these stories
Well, Mert, I look forward to being your partner for, you know, for many, many years in the future. And I look forward to just kind of continuing to see the amazing things that you're going to do. I can only imagine how tough it's been over the pandemic. And we are just, we're so grateful to you and to the entire Swipe Sense team. Right, right back at you all. I'm looking forward to the, to the journey ahead and, and sharing with the wonderful people like you all. Oh, likewise. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Mert and the Swipe Sense team. You can find out more about their incredible work at swipesense.com. And as always, thank you to Alva Fitzpatrick and Ignacio Sass for creating our theme song produced and mixed at South Music and Sound Studios in Santa Monica, California. 